Coleman National Monument in Chicago, Illinois, with your host, Dr. Lynn Hughes. We welcome you to Live from the Pullman National Monument, our global cast magazine format talk radio show, where we discuss all things cultural economic development, i.e. tourism, and we hold informative conversations on the arts, music, business, and people. I'm your host, Dr. Lynn Hughes, founder of the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum, a National Park Service site in Chicago, Illinois. Good day to you, my listening audience, and we thank you for joining us. Stay with us. Coming up, Jason Lesnevich of Chu Chicago. Next on Live from the Pullman National Monument. Stay with us. Today's show is partially underwritten by United Auto Workers, Local 551, and Hughes-Peterson Publishing, Chicago, Illinois. Visit the PullmanBorderMuseum.com where you can purchase an annual membership at the level of your choice. And of course, visit our website here to find out more about the show live from the Pullman National Monument at bbsradio.com forward slash live from PNM to contact us. Something without warning bears heavy on my mind Then I look at you And the world's alright with me Just one look at you And I know it's gonna be A lovely day In the tradition that we are establishing, let's talk about the Pullman National Monument. We have established this component of the show because the Pullman National Monument is still very new, and we are still in the process of branding and identifying ourselves. For us, that's very important because if we don't brand and identify ourselves, others will do so. And that's always a problem. Case in point, people in general and certain media outlets included still write about and refer to the Pullman National Monument as one building in Pullman, and that is the clock tower as the Pullman National Monument. And that is inaccurate. Unintentionally or not, doing so is divisive. According to the United States Department of Interior, and according to the proclamation established by President Barack Obama on February the 19th, 2015, the historic Pullman District in Chicago, Illinois, is the Pullman National Monument. Unlike other national monuments, the Pullman National Monument is not just one building. It is a thematic district. Within that district, there are several tourist sites 
lots of great things to see. And so that is important for people to understand that. As a matter of fact, people in the area still, because of what they read, don't understand that the Pullman National Monument is at the Matic District and not just one building. We have in the Pullman Messenger a map that would be great for people to get and see for yourselves. It identifies, I think there are seven sites within the monument uh, that will better help you understand and interpret the Pullman National Monument. So a little commercial, go to PullmanMessenger.com and you can purchase an annual subscription for $12 included in that magazine is a map of the Pullman National Monument. And there you will see all of the wonderful sites that are there for people to visit when they come. And we are the Pullman National Monument, a part of the National Park District's uh, site. We are what is known as a partner site. The National Park Service owns a building in the park, in the Pullman National Monument. They are perceived as the authority in the Pullman National Monument under the National Park Service. But there are partner sites uh, in the National Monument. Uh, there, of course, is the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum. There is the uh, Hotel Florence. There is the Pullman Clock Tower building. They're still vacillating on what that's going to be called. Some people refer to it as a museum, but it is not. It is more, I think, ultimately, it will be more of an archive, a repository for different things, but it is not a museum. Then there's the Greenstone Church. There are uh, other places. There is the Pullman Visitor Center. That's the gist of the sites where people can go. But, of course, the entire district is the housing stock of the original town of Pullman, and we have wonderful house tours that we offer, a walking house tours that exist in the Pullman National Monument. So I hope that that helps to, to define, if you will, the Pullman National Monument in a way that will be helpful to people who come from all over the world to visit the Pullman National Monument, and they mistakenly, because they have had inaccurate information given to them, think that the Pullman National Monument is one building, and that is the clock tower, and that is inaccurate. So, without further ado, we will uh, take a quick break and come back with our first guest. Support Hughes-Peterson Publishing by visiting thepullmanmessenger.com and purchase an annual subscription. It's just $12 a year. Or purchase an Anthology of Respect by Dr. Lynn Hughes, available on Amazon.com.
Our guests today are two dynamic individuals. Both have very different but interesting professions, but both have jobs that are related to what our show is all about, tourism. Jason Lesnevich, who is cultural tourism manager of neighborhoods from CHU Chicago, and Samuel W. Black is the director of African-American programs at the Senator John Heinz History Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. As the title of our show indicates, live from the Pullman National Monument, the show is all about tourism. And a considerable focus for the show is all about neighborhood tourism. Our first guest is perfect for today's show. He is Jason Lesnevich, Cultural Tourism Manager of Neighborhoods for Chu Chicago. Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, this is wonderful. Uh, I, I think I would like to, to start with your telling us a little bit about CHU Chicago. What is it and what does it do? Sure. CHU Chicago is the sales and marketing organization for the city of Chicago. It was formed in 2012 under Mayor Rahm Emanuel to really make sure that we have a tourism agency focused on selling McCormick Place for conventioneers, but also making sure that we have a strong marketing arm to attract leisure visitors from the domestic markets and various international markets around the world. Um, so that is our main purpose, is to make sure that we are um, filling McCormick Place and drawing as many leisure, sports, and business visitors to the city of Chicago. Fantastic. You are considered the guru in Chicago on the topic of cultural tourism. So let's Correct. start with your <laughs> yay. <laughs> let's start with your giving a description to our listening audience and tell them tell us exactly what is cultural tourism and let's go from there. You know, culture really helps define a people, a neighborhood, a city. And so it's really making sure that we promote and raise awareness of our cultural institutions from the large museums like the Art Institute of Chicago, all the way down to the ethnic museums throughout the city, our dance scene, our theater scene. You know, when we talk about cultural tourism, we really talk about 12 disciplines that make up um, the cultural tourism landscape of Chicago, from architecture and historic sites to the dance, the theater, the music scene, the culinary scene in Chicago, our neighborhoods, our uh, literary aspects. So there's so many different aspects of cultural tourism, but I really think it helps define a city on what a city has to offer and what a city um, represents to the world in terms of um, its offerings and drawing people into the city for these great cultural events and attractions. Well, I must say that Chicago certainly does have an abundance of cultural attractions and offerings that should accommodate the taste of any visitor to our great city. What I'd like to do is to, to ask you to talk now a bit about the neighborhoods in Chicago where cultural tourism is an important factor. Can we do that? Absolutely. You know, our Chicago has a culture of neighborhoods, in a sense, as, as you know, Dr. Hughes. 
um, you know, Chicago, due to its immigration patterns, you know, so many different immigrant groups came to Chicago and settled in these wonderful ethnic enclaves, if you will, you know, where you had your churches working as your social services and your and your merchant streets where you start getting business opportunities. So in a sense, as Chicago was founded, we had all these wonderful neighborhoods set up through Chicago. And then it's still true today. And, you know, our neighborhoods really help differentiate us from other cities that we have these wonderful um, neighborhoods that have great cultural offerings for visitors. So when they come into the city, yes, they can do the downtown attractions, but it's very important, and every visitor should explore some of our neighborhoods while they're coming to the city of Chicago. And in a sense, you know, it gives us great pride that the residents of Chicago take great pride in their neighborhoods and make sure that they are invested in their neighborhoods. And it's really important to bring visitors to our neighborhoods for the economic impact, going to the great restaurants, going to the cultural organizations, and and maybe doing some shopping when you're in one of these, you know, great cultural neighborhoods throughout Chicago. Can you, let's talk about some of those neighborhoods. What about some of the landmark neighborhoods in Chicago? Can you talk a bit about the role cultural tourism plays in those communities and perhaps the impact cultural tourism has on those communities? Yeah, I you know the first one that does come to mind is is our Great Bronzeville neighborhood, um, the great African American uh, historic neighborhood on the near south side of Chicago, and I really hope and I, and I know there's a movement and I really think it will succeed in becoming a national heritage area um, here in America and you know Bronzeville offered has offers so many great cultural tourism opportunities um, through the historic sites. Um, in the neighborhood, through um, some of the um, music legacy in the neighborhood, to really draw people in to understand its history, its sites, and then again, it's you know if we can draw visitors into these iconic neighborhoods, these you know cultural neighborhoods, we can start showing the economic impact as more people come in and and go to the restaurants and the cultural organizations and do a little shopping. So, you know, Bronzeville comes to mind right away. There's some other neighborhoods, of course, the Pullman neighborhood. Um, great history, great story to tell. Um, the architecture is still basically fully intact, so you can fully experience the culture of Pullman. And it really, you know, Pullman has so many links to other neighborhoods um, through its history there that it's very important to you know, visit Pullman and really understand its full impact on the entire city, I believe. One other neighborhood that comes to mind is also on the southwest side is the Pilsen neighborhood. Great um, today, a great Mexican-American neighborhood. You can have a full, you know, cultural experience there through the museum, the National Museum of Mexican Art, have wonderful regional Mexican cuisine, taking some of the street art scene. So those are some neighborhoods that come to mind right away when we talk about cultural tourism. You know, one of the things that we talk about frequently on this show is how the, how should I say, African-American communities in particular uh, are, uh, don't participate in the area of tourism um, as most communities do because we have not had the experience or the education 
uh, about tourism to help us better understand the advantages that are available under the umbrella of tourism. And there's also the double-edged sword because as communities evolve and tourism becomes a focus, there's also the risk of gentrification of, of some neighborhoods. And so I wondered if you might have some feedback or have some thoughts on that particular angle. You know, I would agree with you that it is a, um, it is a, you know, a double-edged sword in a sense. And if you look um, at certain neighborhoods that have gone through major transition from, you know, what would be considered, you know, not a great area to visit to now is absolutely booming. And, you know, obviously real estate prices do start to go up. Um, storefront rentals start to go up. And so you can, you know, you can see that in certain neighborhoods of Chicago. Uh, I would agree with you there. Um, but, you know, tourism, if we can start drawing people to a neighborhood, it does give business opportunities. You know, hey, we're getting an increased visitation to this neighborhood. Let's open a storefront. Let's open a music venue or let's open up an art gallery. So I think, you know, when you're bringing more visitors into a neighborhood, it does give entrepreneurs some business opportunities. But again, I will say I do agree with you that it, there is a tipping point in a sense where the neighborhood becomes such a destination, so popular that rents, real estate prices can go up and can push out the um, people living in that neighborhood. And, and, you know, we do see that through various neighborhoods throughout Chicago. Well, it is sort of, a, I guess you would call that a cost of doing business because it does happen but what we hope to do is to, through programs like this one, as we talk about tourism, to, to uh, enlighten and educate people about the opportunities that are there so that people don't sit and wait until it's too late. Uh, but because there is, you know, I, I often say that tourism is one of the last bastions of economic opportunity that does not come with a lot of barriers and boundaries in terms of who can invest and who can invest in tourism venues and all of the things, the list of things that you just described are those kinds of present those kinds of opportunities and even smaller uh, venues or, or opportunities or shops that can emerge that will service tourists that come to a particular place. So, so, Go ahead. No, I was going to say I, I completely I completely agree with you, um, Dr. Hughes. And you know I think Pullman is ripe for that investment. You would hope that we're you're educating the local residents first through some of the community groups of the potential of the you know they're saying you know hundreds of thousands of visitors to Pullman in particular since it's a national park now, and you really hope the residents that are already living there become empowered to invest in their own neighborhood, continue that investment. And then, you know, since they're already living there, they stay there and they're not, you know, pushed out to another neighborhood. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Jason, do you have anything in particular that you want to talk about? 
You know, True Chicago is in, involved with so many things across, um, you know, various disciplines. We're going to start um, promoting, obviously, the holiday season um, coming up. It's a great city to come in and do some, obviously, do some Christmas shopping, taking a lot of our uh, traditions <laughs> across various neighborhoods for the uh, holiday shopping season. And since, unfortunately, as you know, winter's right around the corner, we'll be getting right into um, Chicago Restaurant Week, Chicago Theater Week. It's a wonderful opportunity to take in Chicago's vast theater um, scene. And then Chinese New Year will be on us. Uh, we do a big citywide Chinese New Year celebration at the end of January. Well, Jason Lesnevich, everybody, from the Chew Chicago uh, entity in Chicago, Illinois, his, is our guest for today. And we thank you for for coming on. We thank, thank you for taking some time of your Sunday to share with us and enlighten and inform our listeners. Thank you so very much. Well, thank you for having me, Dr. Hughes. And uh, anytime you need me, I'm, I'm available. Our guest today is a Mr. Samuel W. Black. He is the director of African American programs at the Senator John Hines History Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Lauren Davidson, writer for the Pittsburgh Magazine, wrote about him that Mr. Black, who is one of the most noted contemporary scholars of African-American culture is changing the way people look at black history through his work. And we are honored to have him as our special guest today on this segment of Around the Museum Table. Mr. Black, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. We're, 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 we're very pleased. We're very pleased. I'm in awe of your work. And um, maybe I don't know about the people in the listening audience, how many of them, probably many of them know more about your work than I do. But I am in awe of your work and very, very proud to be able to have you here today. So let's start by your telling us a little bit about the Heinz History Center and your work there. Oh, sure. The um, Senator John Hines History Center is the oldest cultural institution in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, it was founded um, uh, in 1879, and um, it, it consists primarily of the Historical Society of Western Pennsylvania, the Western Pennsylvania Sports Museum, the uh, Fort Pitt Museum in downtown Pittsburgh, as well as the Museum Conservation Center and the Meadowcroft Historic Village of Rock Shelter. Uh, so it's a, a um, uh, organization that 
um, similar to a mini Smithsonian where you have a number of different museums all under one roof, um, uh, corp, uh, on, under one roof in a sense. Um, and my role there is that I overlook all of the African-American programs, African-American collections, both museum and archival, um, as well as I curate exhibits and I write and publish on different aspects of the African-American experience. My goodness, you're a very busy person. Oh, yes. (laughs) You're very busy. That's very impressive. You have a very impressive body of work before you. And I haven't been there, but I'm going to make my way there to come visit uh, the centers so that I can see firsthand. Um, I I want to, to... You are a very unique guest for us today because you wear a number of hats. But but I would first like for you to talk a little bit about or give your perception about what museums mean to the tourism arena and what role museums play in the tourism arena. Okay. Uh, I think that really depends on uh, where the museums are located. Um, uh, for instance, the museum in Miami, Florida, or Washington, D.C., or New York City, or Philadelphia, uh, cities that attract, and Chicago, cities that attract large tourist numbers, and tourism is a major part of their, um, the industry and the economic um, um, uh, health of that particular region. Uh, for us in Pittsburgh, although we do get quite a few tourists, uh, we're not known as a, as a big tourist you know, Mecca, in a sense, where tourism is not um, a major part of our uh, economy in Pittsburgh. So it's just a little different thing. We do count that when we're considering our projects and and how effective our museum should be. Um, We kind of rely more on a domestic uh, visitorship, um, but... For museums in general, those that are in regions where tourism is a major part of the economy, uh, museums play a major role. Um, And although the cities that I mentioned all just happen to have world-class museums, and one of the reasons why is that um, they want to attract the tourist trade. And um, museums also play a role in the sense of bringing um, dollars uh, to the region because it also brings people who like museums or brings organizations to hold their annual meetings in their cities. Um, I'm glad we went, took that path on answering um, the question because what I really would like to do, and I didn't tell our listening audience that this when I introduced you, but you are, I guess it's safe to say that you're president emeritus of the association. Uh, immediate of- past president immediate past president of the Association of African American Museums. That then, in my opinion, enables you to wear two hats. And so you have a unique perspective in looking at what, how museums interface with tourism or, or, or are a part of, of uh, the tourism industry mm-hmm. and how how... And you made a very good point about how the, you know, the small museums, how they 
play a role because, uh, as you know, we're the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum. And I'm the founder of that. And we are a small museum. But but I find that we play a major role in the tourism uh, traffic in the city of Chicago. So I'd like for you to be able to make a few comments or to discuss that, if you will. Oh, certainly. Um, uh, some of the museums that I am um, uh, more familiar with in terms of their impact on the tourism uh, would be some of the museums like in Boston, the African American Museum in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, they operate two uh, campuses, one in Beacon Hill, uh, which is, of course, a historic district in Boston, uh, and the other one on Nantucket Island. And both of those, you know, areas are very heavy in terms of tourism uh, to the city of Boston. So the museums play a major role. Um, the Boston campus is um, uh, partnering with the, or has a partnership with the National Park Service. They conduct tours of the facility and that uh, Beacon Hill area. Uh, it's called an African American Heritage Trail of Boston. Um, and the buildings that are the historic properties that make up the museum, the African Meeting House and the ABL Smith School, um, are historic properties and important to African American history. They're two of the oldest uh, such buildings in the country that were built by African Americans and maintained by African Americans. The campus in Nantucket on Nantucket Island is the same thing. Uh, you have a historic home that was built by an African American ex-slave, uh, Seneca Boston, in 1774. Uh, so those are two tourist track attractions, and um, um, uh, you know, so it, it's a very much a part of both Nantucket Island uh, tourism and the uh, Boston tourism in the sense that they draw people there. And what we are, we in a sense of those of us in African American museums have been arguing for a very long time is that uh, local um, tourism boards or convention bureaus or uh, visit centers, as they call them today, um, are more and more starting to take a second look at African American museums and include them a great deal more in their advertising um, for tourism and visitation to their cities. Um, because especially in Chicago, not only a Philip Randolph Museum, but you have the DuSable Museum of African American History. Absolutely. Um, that are very well known uh, nationally. You have the Harold Washington Library, um, the um, uh, Vivian Harsh Collection at the Public Library there um, are all very well known and, you know, not only attract visitors uh, to those museums and libraries, but also researchers. And so, um, you know, what I've noticed with African American museums is that they've been able to not only capitalize on the uh, local um, visitor and visitation, but also reach out to those who are venturing into the city for whatever reason, whether it's vacation or for business or whatever. Um, I'll give you a quick story. It's a personal story. But I had a traveling exhibit a few years ago called Soul Soldiers, African-Americans in the Vietnam Era. 
and it was at the National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, which is the Lorraine Hotel where Dr. King was assassinated. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a cousin who uh, knew very little about my project. He knew I was doing a project on the Vietnam War, but he lives in North Carolina, and he was traveling in Memphis on business. And as he told me that whenever he had a couple of hours of free time doing his business trips, he always liked to go visit museums. So, of course, he's going to go to the the um, National Civil Rights Museum, and he walks in, and he goes to this exhibit on the Vietnam War, and there's a picture of my brother, who was a Vietnam veteran, on the wall. And so my cousin was really, he be, really became emotional because my brother passed away in 1971. And so... Um, the people at the museum didn't believe him when he kept saying that was his cousin until he started shedding tears. And then they mm-hmm. believed that he, you know, he was probably telling the truth. So that was a story that both he told me about as well as the museum people told me about. Uh, but here you have someone who is visiting uh, a, another city on business and ventures into what? An African-American museum and had no idea that there was something personal and family-related in that museum. But um, it's the fact that uh, people are choosing to go to African-American museums uh, for whether it's for leisure or business or, you know, social or whatever the occasion may be. You know, um, that's a very uh, interesting story, and I'm glad that you share that with us. But, but you know, it brings about a very good point. Museums, I think people have this notion about museums that they're sort of just stagnant places to to sort of go. And I think what we 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 in the museum community have to do is to find a better way to let people know who we are and what we really do because we 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 are teachers. Uh, we are cultural institutions, so so it's a two in one, and and it's a repository for 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 reflection uh, on on many things that have to do with our culture. In the last year, I will share with you that since the designation of the Pullman National Monument, we have had a solid year of an influx of international visitorship. And these are people who come and they specifically want to know about civil rights and black history. And so it is not just, I think that people, there's a misnomer or misinformation about what's at a museum and what kinds of things that tourists want to see. I think that those visitors centers and visitor information centers that you spoke about earlier, I think we have to do some work on them frankly, to let them know who we are and what we do and and maybe bring to their attention the interest of international tourists because people are coming and they want to know about this history. We have people from Asia. We have people from Europe. You know, all of these different audiences of people who you would never think would be interested, just, just, just assuming, ourselves we're assuming, we never thought that people would want to come to America from other places to see and to learn 
more about civil rights and African-American history. And so I think that so it's almost like the time has come for that particular genre, if you will. And and I think it's very important. And I think probably the the idea that we had an African-American president contributed heavily to that interest. But better late than never, I would think. Um, uh, and so I just wanted to share that with you since you shared the story, because I think we're, we're, we're sort of saying the same things that people who are traveling and they just sort of come. People who just want to visit museums and just like your relative went into to that uh, National Civil Rights Museum, he had no clue that he was going to to come upon on something that touched him in a very personal way. Mm-hmm. So, so, well, so there, there is another example that's similar to what you're saying. The River Road African American Museum in Donaldsonville, Louisiana. This is a rural area between New Orleans and Baton Rouge along the Mississippi River. And uh, this museum uh, basically um, chronicles uh, black rural life in Louisiana and near the sugar cane fields and so forth. So a lot of their collection really is uh, evolves around an agrarian uh, sort of society. So it's all farmers. It's a history of black farmers. Uh, it's a history of struggle working in sugarcane fields uh, and so forth. And uh, in 2014 and 2015, a surprising percentage of their visitorship were foreigners, mm-hmm. people from Eastern mm-hmm. Europe and people mm-hmm. from Asia. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. their director, Kathy Hambrick, uh, was trying to you know, get a hold of it in a sense or understand it better of why and was even, you know, had a survey of their visitors, their foreign visitors, asking what brought them to the River Road African American Museum. And more than than often, you know, the, the answer would be that they were just interested in black mm-hmm. history. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that tells you pretty much what you were saying is that there is a foreign audience that is interested in black history. They want to know more about the experiences of African Americans. They want to know more about, you know, what, how does America define democracy and the fact that looking at the experiences of African Americans give them a better idea of what democracy is or isn't. Yes. <laughs> and this is um, one of the things that is drawing a lot of foreigners to African-American museums, because after all, African-American museums tell that story better than anyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this is very interesting, a very interesting. We're, we're going to have to. We're going to have to have you to come back to to be a, a guest again around the museum table. But 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 I want to to reiterate that this is a part of the show where you get to talk to our listening audience about whatever you want to talk about. Let's say for the sake of this discussion, you want to there's something you want people to know about that's coming up, or you want to promote something that's happening at your center, this is where you have the opportunity to do that. And we'd love for you to just take a few minutes and talk about anything you want to talk about. This oh, sure. I, you know, we're doing so many things. Let me narrow it down. 
Um, <laughs> uh, one, I guess one is um, um, I am uh, very much into collaboration, and over the past three or so years um, have been doing programs with other organizations around Pittsburgh. And one of those is a long-term program that comes out of an exhibition that we opened in 2012 called From Slavery to Freedom that looks at the African-American experience, of course, the, the background of slavery, but it also looks at a little bit at African civilizations and then focuses a great deal on Pittsburgh in terms of Pittsburgh's abolitionist uh, history and civil rights history. And um, uh, one of the, um, I guess we'll say, a sort of new and exciting areas of the exhibit, because a great deal of it was original research by myself, was a section where we call Surviving Off the Land, which basically addresses how runaway slaves were able to sustain themselves in the wilderness or on the journey to freedom. And so we looked at um, uh, different, 50 different foods or plants that grew in the area between the Gulf of Mexico and the Pennsylvania border or the Mason-Dixon line and the Mississippi River and the Atlantic Ocean. So we looked at that region of the United States and primarily um, before the Civil War, so we're looking at the antebellum period, and, uh, and then we took a look at the slave narratives that have been written, and we researched the different plants that grew in that particular area and the relationship those plants had with African Americans. And so uh, a great deal of our research uh, chronicles what plants, what flora uh, were used for sustenance, were used to make medicines, were used to make weapons, uh, were used to make clothing, uh, and was used to make um, shelter. And uh, this research we put into a, um, a website, um, and it can be found at the HeinzHistoryCenter.org website. All you have to do is look for From Slave to Freedom exhibit, uh, and you will find the bulk of that research. But we're continuing to work on it um, because there's a book publication in a couple of years about it. And this is original research where it's basically a runaway slave story, but it's looking at it from a different point of view. We're putting the reader on the ground with the escaping slaves. So... Uh, it's a little different in a sense, but our collaboration is with the Pittsburgh Parks Conservancy that has um, op just recently opened as of September 10th a redesigned and renovated environmental center that is a completely um, a recycled center. It recycles all of its water. Uh, it uses solar energy to... Um, uh, provide electricity and energy for the uh, education center, and we also put it from Slavery to Freedom Garden there, um, and we'll grow plants that are derived out of my research um, so that we can educate the public about this aspect of the freedom movement. So that's something that, that um, uh, we're really anxious on. The plants will be uh, some of the plants will be planted um, within a couple of weeks now and will bloom in the spring. Uh, and so our programming will really kick off in the spring and the summer and the fall months um, around this whole subject. And it's something that um, 
we're encouraging a lot of other museums to do. Um, and our partnership with the Frick Environmental Center works out because if anyone's familiar with uh, Pittsburgh, Frick Park is one of the largest uh, urban parks in the country, similar to, I guess, in New York you have Central Park and then there's MacArthur Park in D.C. and, I mean, in um, uh, Los Angeles and in other places you have these big city parks. Uh, and, of course, in Chicago you're all quite familiar with how effective uh, parks can be not only as places of leisure but as education sites as well. And so uh, that's what we're doing here in Pittsburgh, and we're really happy with it, and we we really hope that it turns out very well. Well, it's interesting, uh, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking back to something, uh, Ford Bell, who was the former president of the American Alliance of Museums, there's something he said, something he was quoted in, in, in before he retired from there, which says the museums are... Uh, are charged with coming outside of the walls. We're 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 charged with uh, engaging the community and doing more with less. And so, uh, the traditional role of a museum has, has is evolving and is changing. Uh-huh. And so, we are doing very kind similar kinds of things that you just mentioned. And so, I would love to have a conversation with you off the air to have a further dialogue about some of those. Maybe you can give us some advice. But this has been an absolute fantastic interview with you, very informative, and I thank you so very much for joining us today. Sure. Uh, uh, and I hope that you we, we can invite you in, that you'll come again so we can talk more uh, for this particular segment of Around the Museum Table. I want to thank you again mm-hmm. for for joining us. And if we may impose upon you to come contact you again, please allow us to do so. Thank you so I'll, very I'll be much. I'll happy to, to come on again. This is really nice. Oh, well, great, great. Thank you so very much. Our guest today from around the museum table, Mr. Black. Today's show is brought to you by the Pullman Messenger Magazine and Hughes-Peterson Publishing. Partially underwritten by Choose Chicago, the premier tourism marketing agency in Chicago, Illinois. Everybody, thank you for sharing with us another informative show on the ever-expanding topic of tourism Thank you to the listening audience for spending part of your Sunday with us. And a very special thank you to the Pullman Messenger Magazine, United Auto Workers Local 551, and Chew Chicago. Thank you to our fantastic engineer, Mr. Don Newsom, smooth jazz artist Jonathan Fritzen for allowing us to use his music on our show every week. And last but not least, you, the listening audience. Because without you, there would be no show. And we'll see you next time on Live from the Pullman National Monument.
Live from Pullman National Monument was brought to you by Hughes-Peterson Publishing in Chicago, Illinois. Hosted by Dr. Lynn Hughes.